Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. My name is Tim Grady, and I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, from his company, All Metals and Forge Group, the sponsor of our show. Lou, how are you today? Uh, doing great. We're almost out of all of our snow issues, uh, all 20-some-odd inches of it, so the sun is out, so that's good. But I hear we're going to be getting more snow perhaps by Friday. So that, that should be fun <laughs> all over again. That's what I heard as well. And well, we're going to jump into uh, today's show, Lou, unless you have any news items for us. Uh, or I do. I do. And actually, it has uh, something uh, to do with our second guest on our show today. Um, it, um, it seems as though that uh, we have a program that's being developed by the U.S. government uh, called the Automated Commercial Environment called ACE, and uh, we have two guests on the show uh, that will be discussing it, but I want to just give a heads up to our uh, audience what the, what the story is, and I, I guess this takes on almost a breaking news story. It seems as though Mr. Obama, President Obama, uh, signed an executive order four years ago to have the 47 agencies of the federal government that are involved in import-export uh, regulations and documentation and information and so on, uh, he mandated a single window for information from the 1,000 freight forwarders in the United States to have all information into this one program for efficiency's sake and uh, proficiency's sake. And, um, well, here's the problem. The deadline is February 28th, so it's been four years. A billion dollars over budget, and it won't be ready for February 20th. And there, therein lies a significant issue, even worse than the L.A. port issue of last year, because L.A. port issue was all about L.A. This will affect all ports in the United States. So I'm not going to say much more about that. Uh, we will let our guests talk about that, but this is a very significant and severe uh, problem. So on that note, uh, Tim, take it away. Yeah, that's an exciting uh, an exciting and uh, scary piece of news, which you'll hear in the second half of the program. Uh, in this half of the program, we're talking with Norbert Orr, who's Director and Head of Industry Surveys for Strategus Research Partners. And Norbert tracks uh, 18 Purchasing Managers Index surveys, global business surveys worldwide, to see what's happening outside the U.S. Norbert, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be with you. Well, let's you pick a country, and then we'll whirl around the world from there. You want to go east to west or west to east first, Norbert? Let, let's start in Asia and, uh, and turn this direction, if we can, Tim. Uh, okay. This month, uh, the Jap- and uh, again, each of the indexes that we're referring to, if, if the number is above 50, it's growing. If it's below 50, it's contracting. And if it's right at 50, which happens from time to time, it means everything's the same as the month before. So we're measuring the rate of change, how much change is there, and how fast or how slow is that rate of change at, at this point. So... Uh, let's take a, a quick look at uh, at Asia. Uh, Japan has been on a roll recently. Uh, in May of last year, uh, well, let's go back to April of last year, they were at 49.9. Uh, they've progressively gotten better to where it's uh, 52.6 this month, same as it was last month, same rate of uh, rate rate of growth taking place, and so. Uh, uh, compared to where Japan has been and with all the problems that they have uh, in terms of uh, currency, in terms of um, uh, their uh, population, demographics, and so on, uh, 
they are are holding up fairly well right now and and coming out of uh coming out of that now some of that they've done by seeking a currency advantage and that's one of the reasons the dollar keeps getting stronger and the yen keeps getting weaker is they want to see a weak yen so that uh we buy more from them than uh than, than normal the other two uh or three, two China surveys in Taiwan. Uh, let me mention uh, Taiwan first. Uh, Taiwan uh, in June of last year uh, uh, switched in July from growing to declining. Uh, this past month, the rate of decline was uh, or contraction was 46.6, uh, and so it's gotten progressively worse. Uh, uh, Taiwan is a lot about manufacturing and semiconductors, uh, where uh, we have 18 industries that we follow in the U.S. There's only six important industries in Taiwan, so uh, it's very narrow, and uh, a lot of it is based on uh, on technology from that. Uh, they don't see uh, they don't see a turnaround in that anytime soon. I was in Asia in uh, December and. Taiwan in, in particular, both in Taipei and Kaohsiung. And the general feeling is that uh, they've got a, a way to go. They just had an election, and uh, they're a little more optimistic around uh, what you might bet. happen as a result of that election. So uh, the other other two, obviously, are the China surveys, uh, and uh, – they continue the, the official China survey is at 49.7. Uh, it's been averaging about 49.7 for the last uh, 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 eight months or so. Uh, so not a lot of movement taking place. Uh, the contention still is that um, GDP growth in, in uh, China is above 6%. Uh, if that's the case, then we should be able to see a, a soft landing. The other uh, China survey has shown a little bit more variability to it for the last six months or so. It's averaged 48.2, so uh, it's showing a, a slowly declining economy, uh, which is almost more believable than one that is uh, moving totally sideways and has been for a six- or eight-month period. So. Um, Asia, uh, other than Japan, uh, Asia is struggling a little bit. If we go on down to Australia, uh, Australia went through about a four-year manufacturing recession, and now they've enjoyed uh, uh, six months of growth where they've averaged 51.5, so uh, a little improvement there. Australia's uh, manufacturing sector keeps uh, keeps getting smaller and smaller. Uh, one of the things is uh, the auto industry has uh, the last assembly plant in Australia closed, so uh, they no longer have any auto manufacturing uh, of any consequence in, in Australia. Moving to Europe. Uh, Last month uh, for the Eurozone was uh, a, uh, a big accomplishment because it was the first time since the uh, Greek crisis started a number of years ago. Uh, it's the first time that we've seen Greece uh, growing uh, at 50.2. It wasn't much growth, but when you uh, when you consider they were at 30.2 in July, being at 50.2 is uh, is a, a Pretty hefty accomplishment. Uh, the eurozone in general, uh, the eight countries in the eurozone, uh, had an overall 53.2, so uh, a pretty good showing uh, on an overall basis in Europe. And all of the major economies in Europe uh, are growing. At the, we're growing last month, which is a positive, obviously. Uh, they were led by Ireland, Italy, uh, and Germany. Uh, and the Netherlands, and all had fairly fairly strong readings, and the dollar settled out at a dollar nine, which is uh, actually up from a uh, dollar six the month before. So, uh, seeing a little stability as opposed to continued uh, strength in the uh, in the dollar, we're seeing a little 
a little uh, weakness, and, and uh, that too is a positive from our standpoint for exports uh, would help uh, to do that. Um, Europe continues to uh, have greater problems, though. The, the immigration problem uh, has a, a profound impact on the European uh, community. Uh, we see all the things on TV that are going on there. Th those all have economic implications. In fact, I was, I was reading a piece uh, this, uh, not, this past week that was talking about that we should never mention economics as a standalone topic. It ought to be political e economics uh, because all economics have become political, and that's certainly uh, uh, the case in Europe. So uh, that's the other countries. Uh, you want to go ahead and talk about the U.S. a little bit, Tim? Yeah, I'd like to get into uh, uh, Europe a little bit, and you know, I'm particularly interested in what is happening in terms of the uh, immigration or emigration crisis that's uh, this flood of people going into Europe and Europe's ability to handle it. What's that likely to do to their uh, economic outlook, Norbert? Well, it's gonna it's gonna have an impact uh, because all of their uh, you know, uh, it's wonderful when a country has a, a, a social welfare program that uh, uh, helps people in need and, and works with that. But one of the problems with having that type of environment is everybody wants to come and live off of that. And uh, they're obviously flocking into Europe uh, uh, looking at uh, you know, what was going on in, in the Middle East and what is going on in the Middle East, and so there's a real tendency for uh, even those who uh, are not uh, separated by war and everything else to join the group and uh, and come in to the, to the country and with the expectation that that country is going to accept them with open arms and give them a, uh, a social safety net that uh, they, they uh, can't get away from. Uh, and I think that's the bigger issue is, is the instability and inability of government to deal with it, uh, bringing in, and as Germany, uh, uh, Merkel wanted to bring in a million immigrants into Germany. Uh, now, Germany, Germany is very strict about if you come into the country, you have to learn English, or I'm sorry, German before, uh, and they learn English too. Uh, but um, they have to learn German before they can qualify for citizenship and so on. So th they do attempt to make sure that they uh, culturally inculcate them into the into society. Uh, but what's that going to do in terms of uh, uh, growth? Uh, it's really it's going to be more of a drain on growth than it is going to be a, a growth uh, a growth initiative. The the immigrants don't come in prepared to work at high-skilled jobs, uh, and Germany does have high-skilled jobs, um, but uh, they're, not going to get, they're not going to get those jobs. There's trade unions, there's um, just the, the uh, social implication of, of trying to, to get into those positions. So it's going to be a tough time uh, uh, for them. Uh, if you look over, I, I don't track Russia because I, 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 I wouldn't begin to, to understand where to go. But if, if you look at what the oil economy is doing, the, the low cost of oil is great for Europe and terrible for Russia. Now, I was going to ask about Russia. I don't know what's going on with their economic situation. I guess their per-barrel extraction rate is in the 50s, and the barrel and oil is sitting in the low 30s per barrel, so they got to be right. averaging cash. Right, and they are struggling and will continue to struggle until they get the price up. Uh, they're going to do whatever they can do to try to drive the price higher, obviously, uh, and uh, maybe that's maybe that's instability. I, I don't know how they would go about it, but uh, it's a real problem because they are a energy-dependent country, and uh, uh, in the best of times, um, the average person isn't doing that well in Russia. So uh, a lot of instability, and uh, I think we can expect more of that uh, as, as we go forward. Uh, Norbert, I'd like 
Norbert, I'd like to hear a little bit about uh, South America, but particularly uh, Brazil. Uh, I know they're having their continuing problems. I'd like to hear some details on that. Well, Brazil is getting ready for the Olympics, and so uh, I'm sure they're going to try to put a, a positive face on everything that they they can. Uh, they're really counting on uh, the Olympics to increase terror to increase ter- tourism. Uh, I, I, I never realized that the two words were so close: terrorism, <laughs> tourism. Uh, uh, to do that. Yeah, but uh, encouraging tourism uh, is certainly what they'd like to do. Uh, but they just have so many structural problems of, uh, you know, the, the rule of law, property rights. Uh, uh, the larger cities, they say they really don't know who owns the property. There's just people living on it, have lived on it for years. Uh, and probably if they really got into it, the, they would wind up giving that land to those individuals. But uh any country uh, is is only economically as sound as uh as their property rights and uh, individual rights and so on to to be able to do that and uh, brazil struggles with all of that they uh they have a a, a protectionist uh, attitude toward uh, uh don't uh, uh toward, toward lack of importing uh, minimizing uh, some of the trade they want to export, uh, obviously their energy products and so on. But even that, um, today with the oil, uh, a lot of countries are being hurt, and ob- obviously Brazil would be one of those that they have a, a huge need for uh, to get a reasonable price out of energy and so on in order to help support the government. And they just don't... Uh, they don't seem to be able to get stability politically. Uh, it's uh, the the government is so inconsistent that nobody knows what the rule of law is uh, in in Brazil. So, uh, I was asked if you're talking about Brazil or the United States with inconsistent government. Uh, uh, there's certainly, there's some comparability of the direction that we're. Uh, we seem to, to want to head in uh, the, the uh, uh, again the rule of law and uh, adherence to the rule of law, property rights. Those things uh, are uh, uh, topics that uh, that aren't that far away from our daily discussion with regard to eminent domain and uh, also. Uh, uh, regulatory, who who can make the laws uh, on behalf of the government? Is that Congress's responsibility? So, yeah, we we we, we can find some parallels there, Tim. Petrobras uh, being their probably number one uh, exporter and oil producer, state partially state owned. Uh, I think their price of their stock is probably the lowest it's ever been, uh, and not expected to. Rise anytime soon. Yeah, I, I started following Petrobras uh, oh uh, about ten years ago, I guess. Uh, uh, just a high awareness of what they were doing and so on, and uh, uh, and listened to some executives from Petrobras talking about what, how fantastic they were going to do over the course of the next ten years. Um, and that has not really been the case. Uh, again, instability in the federal government. Uh, uh, you know, the, the problem when you have central government control is they want to control everything, and that includes corporations. And uh, uh, Petrobras is, is certainly subject to that. Well, not only that, many of the uh, corporate executives you're talking about are. Probably in jail right now after the last purge. Yeah, they they do uh, uh, excel at putting uh, their political enemies in jail. uh, And uh, a number of countries can uh, be proud of that honor. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, again, uh, you got to have the fundamental things in place, and uh, Brazil just doesn't have them at this point. Petrobras is going to suffer uh, along with the rest of the country going forward. I think they'll get the pretty face 
put on uh, for the Olympics. And then after that, uh, they're not going to have anything to rally around. It's going to be it's going to get real tough in Brazil. Let's hear a little bit about uh, Mexico. Uh, we know that uh, there's a fair amount of manufacturing going on down there, uh, particularly in the uh, aerospace and uh, automotive sectors. Any comments on that? Yeah, Mexico uh, has been doing relatively well compared to everybody else. Uh, Mexico tends to, to live off of uh, what the U.S. does uh, because we're their primary market of which they export into. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, NAFTA uh, has helped Mexico tremendously. Uh, probably uh, NAFTA is one of the better examples of a trade agreement uh, because it's helped Mexico and having some a country on your border uh, that is not uh, economically doing okay uh, is probably a source of greater problems. Now, you could say we still have had a lot of immigration, but a lot of the immigration that comes uh, out of uh, uh, Mexico really passes through Mexico. Uh, it's not necessarily Mexicans that, that are doing that. Uh, they're, they're certainly included, but uh, uh, the volumes of uh, particularly children are coming out of uh, El Salvador and Guatemala and other countries in uh, Latin America. Uh, but Mexico uh, keeps getting investment. Uh, I think Ford or GM just announced a, a large investment uh, in Mexico, and um, and I think it works uh, works well for us in that uh, they supply uh, some of the high uh, high volume uh, low cost parts for the auto industry that they don't have to have a supply chain that extends to Asia in order to get those, um, and they supply some of the things that uh, are, are no longer. Uh, Environmental, environmentally acceptable here, such as uh, forging operations and things of of, of that type. Uh, uh, and you guys know more about those things, obviously, than uh, than I could uh, possibly know from it. But in, in general, Mexico is hanging in there and uh, uh, continues to uh, to benefit from being next door to the U.S. and south of the border to Canada. Do you think they'll be able to pay for the wall? <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't. I missed that question. Do you think they'd be able to pay for the wall? Oh, our, I, our... I, I think you know all things are possible in politics, and then all things are impossible in politics. So <laughs> this is true. Uh, we'd have to see uh, what the outcome is uh, for doing that, but uh, I wouldn't bet against that. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, is going on, Norbert, with uh, with Canada? I see that they're in their fifth month of contraction, and I'm guessing January will be the same, and they'll really fall under the classic definition of uh, a two quarters of declining growth and entering recession. Is that how you yeah, see it? Yeah, it looks like that's going to be difficult for them to avoid. I don't think there's going to be enough of an uptick. Uh, you know, uh, Canada, whatever happens in the U.S., Canada follows that. Uh, we've been two months uh, below 50. They're five months below 50. Uh, so uh, we see the things slow there before they, before they slow here, I think, because that's part of the, of the business that drops off uh, fairly quickly is, uh, is imported business. Uh, but Canada is energy dependent, and uh, we, didn't, uh, we didn't help them with the Keystone Pipeline, uh, which makes, it, uh, e makes their oil even more costly and uh, unable to get to the same markets that they'd like to have gotten to. So... Um, uh, Canada, uh, I think, will be dependent upon when the U.S. starts to pick up again, uh, whether we see signs of, uh, of improvement. Uh, I, I think this month's numbers are, are going to be fairly similar to what we've seen the last couple of months. We've been down in the 48 range. We, we might get back to 50, uh, between 50 and 51. 
to show just a little bit of growth in January. Some of the preliminary reports and so on would uh, uh, indicate that uh, that we might see a little more strength than, than what we've seen the last two months. Uh, that would that would be good, you know. Uh, Industry-wise, uh, like I said, autos and aircraft are are, are doing well, uh, but we also are seeing a huge decline in the energy and in, in, in energy states, uh, particularly uh, uh, the Texas. The new Texas report just came out. Uh, to give you some idea of the magnitude of change in, in the energy side of the U.S., um, in December it was at 50.4. In January it's 41.4. So that is a very, very steep drop, and usually don't see that kind of change uh, of that magnitude out of that uh, out of the Texas survey. So it tells me uh, uh, the the hammer uh, will finally hit, hit the nail. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, re- uh, reduced out of economic activity in, uh, in the petroleum industry. So overall, do we continue to go sideways in the United States for a while, Norbert? What's the outlook for 2016? Yeah, I, the, the outlook is that we're not going to do a lot in terms of investment. And investment drives manufacturing when uh we're investing in more capacity and more facilities uh, than we see that. And uh, the ISM uh, forecast that was issued in December certainly predicted a very weak investment environment uh, as far as manufacturing is concerned in the U.S. Uh, at, at the same time, uh, uh, I don't think we've ever had a manufacturing recession where the auto industry and the aircraft industry have been as uh, as solid as they have been up to to this point, uh, and and even you know a major determinant of manufacturing is housing uh, because everything that goes into a house, uh, though it, that's considered non-manufacturing, if everything goes into a house is a manufactured item just about. Uh, whether it's lumber or roofing shingles or whatever. So housing has a lot to do with uh, manufacturing success, and uh, uh, we have not been able to get our housing numbers back up into the 1.5 million range. The best we've we've been able to do is, uh, on on average, a a 1.2 million in a couple of months uh, as far as housing. So we're, we're still underperforming in the housing sector, um, that's that's a bit of a problem, but no, no, it's also not falling. And so right now, that's probably the most important thing is uh, that autos, housing, aircraft all stay uh, in a growth mode. Well, that's certainly uh, a key indicator that we will keep an eye on. We've been talking with Norbert Orr, who is the director of uh, industry surveys. <clears throat> Excuse me, frog in my throat there for uh, Strategist Research Partners. And if you want to uh, participate in that as a manufacturer, and the more manufacturers that participated in it, the better, just send an email to Norbert Orr at N-O-R-E at strategistrp, that's S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S-R-P dot com. And you get some very interesting benefits out of that. You get a copy of the uh, global uh, survey that, he releases on the first of the month, and you get a copy of the actual uh, manufacturing survey that he releases on about the 10th of the month. So you get two very excellent documents out of simply answering two simple questions for that survey. So we encourage all of our listeners who are manufacturers to participate. We're going to be right back after a quick commercial break. We're going to be speaking with um, – we're going to be speaking with uh, – two individuals talking about ACE, the Automated Commercial Environment, Celeste Catano, who's Senior Global Strategist at uh, Keywell, and Amy Magnus, Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer. So stay tuned after these commercial messages. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, 
stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at steelforge.com or call 800-600-9290. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. Welcome everyone to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we're going to be talking with uh, Amy Magnus, who's Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer and Celeste Catano, Senior Global Strategist at Keywill. We're going to be talking about commercial operations to U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Um, what we're really talking yeah, about is the automated commercial environment, what is known as ACE, and how it affects uh, importers and exporters in terms of how they file paperwork these days. So, Amy, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. It's quite a topic, Celeste, that we're going to be talking about today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here as well. Well, Amy, let's start off with you. Why don't you uh, give our listeners an idea of just what ACE is? Okay, I'd be happy to. ACE started out many, many years ago as really a dream between federal officials and also the trade. The purpose of ACE was to come up with a modern system so that data and other trade information could be transmitted to Customs and Border Protection and to the other government agencies that have oversight over trade. So we did have an old system uh, that we used for this purpose that stood us very well for many years, uh, and it was called ACS. But it was older, and the programming uh, apparently was the kind of programming that needed to be upgraded and modernized. So CBP, uh, really in partnership Customs and Border Protection, in partnership with the trade, started designing elements of what a really good automated system would look like, how it would work, the kind of information that would be available for the government to assist and, and really to facilitate trade, and also for, um, for the trade to be able to get reports back and have an easier or a more functional system that gave them something back too. So that was the dream and that was the vision that was started quite a number of years ago. Well, that's quite an undertaking. Uh, by the way, just for our listeners, we also have uh, the uh, sponsor of our show with us, Lou Weiss, who's president of All Metals and Forge Group. And Lou, you've done quite a bit of uh, study on this as well, and I know that you're involved in export with All Metals and Forge Group. Any particular questions you have for either uh, Amy or Celeste, you're welcome to throw those in to add to the conversation. Well, I, I was wondering, uh, I haven't, uh, we haven't done CPATS uh, research in a while, and I know that it was uh, rather complex at the beginning, and I'm, I'm just going to jump right in and let's, let's talk about that, because uh, our listeners are, you know, manufacturers, and, uh, you know, we're looking to sh- show them and talk to them about um, how to, how all our ACE and CPAT and uh, the rest of these programs are making it easier for manufacturers to export and get into other markets. So let's take a look at CPAT, which I'm sure not many people are that aware of. And I think this this is Amy. Are you talking about CTPAT? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, CTPAT. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. Um, Customs and Trade Partnership uh, Against Terrorism is a program that was stood up shortly after 9-11. And that really is a program that involves the security of cargo, uh, both uh, at, right now, both import and export. It started as just an import program. Um, where companies would uh, verify the security of their 
physical cargo in the supply chain, and they would put in place certain processes that were accepted and approved by CBP, by Customs and Border Protection, to demonstrate that the cargo uh, was secure through uh, the supply chain to the extent that they were able to do so. Uh, and then they opened that program up for exporters as well, exporters uh, out of the United States. And I think the real long-term vision of CTPAT is for um, uh, to to harmonize with other countries. There is an agreement with Canada to accept their security program, and there was a recently signed agreement, I say recently, maybe a little over a year ago now, uh, signed agreement with Mexico, which also has a similar type of program, which is really fun. It's based around cargo security. And those programs seem to be working pretty well. They don't, um, you know, they, they, I think some members of the trade would like to see more benefits for being a participant in those programs. Uh, and they have kind of flattened out in the beginning when it was open to importers, a number of importers got on, and I don't think they've seen a lot of growth for a while. So I think they, everyone is looking at how can they make that program more robust and how can they offer more benefits or incentivize uh, importers and exporters to join the program and certainly harmonizing with other nations um, like the AEO, the Authorized Economic Operators, I think it is, in Europe, um, you know, if they could harmonize the requirements or the benefits, that might also be an incentive uh, for others to join. But the CTPAT program is not really the same as ACE. ACE is, is this gigantic umbrella, the automated commercial environment. It's the gigantic umbrella that is where all data and trade information is going to re reside, and it is called and is referred to also now as a single window, where uh, information that, that relates to importing and exporting into the United States will be housed. So let's, uh, any idea how, I'm sorry, I was just going to ask Celeste how many companies in the United States are going to be affected by this. Any idea? <laughs> I actually don't really have a, a figure, but um, basically everybody that is importing um, or basically like, like some of your um, your companies here are any, anybody that's importing or using import imported items into their finished goods um, will be affected. Um, because what's happening here, as Amy just said, was that this is this is what's called now a single window. So it used to be that everybody um, that wanted to clear customs um, would have to submit a certain amount of data. Now what the what the government is doing is they've added in um, roughly 15 agencies, um, other government agencies such as um, uh, uh, NHTSA, um, which is the National Highway um, Safety Administration. Um, food and drug, um, you know, and, and so on, the, um, you know, alcohol, tobacco. You've got all of these different agencies that now, um, if you have to satisfy requirements from those agencies before you import goods into the country, those have to be um, submitted electronically as well. And so what's happening now is Customs has carved out three of the agencies that um, will require reporting um, on February 28th. And what the, that means is each of those agencies has updated their requirements. Um, so a lot of the agencies now require additional information than what was there before. So things like um, food and drug will now ask for additional party information, um, where before we might have supplied a code for, to represent the party, now they want full name and address. So what happens with this is that each importer um, now has to reach into their own internal systems and to be able to provide that level of detail to their broker in order for the broker to um, submit that information uh, to customs. So there's a lot more data that needs to be uh, provided uh, in this new system. And so what customs is doing is the three agencies are being done for February 28th, and the rest of the agencies will be sometime this summer, most likely July. Let me ask a question. 
so I have a better understanding and our view mm -hmm. our listeners as well. Uh, is this a program that we uh, – I have a logistics department in our manufacturing plant. Will they be the ones that are transacting the paperwork and the electronic transfer of information, or do we transmit it through to our broker, and our broker is the one who transmits it to the various companies? Yeah, it, it would be your um, – you would be sending your information to a broker if you, um, if you do use a broker to file um, with customs. And so the okay. broker would be helping you get that information or, you know, helping you figure out what additional information that you're supposed to be providing. Okay. So it makes it a lot easier for the manufacturer because he doesn't have to set up his own system where he's dealing with the government. He just deals normally through his uh, forwarding company, and uh, they handle it all for you. I presume yeah, they charge an extra service for that. Right. It really depends on how you're um, you're sending your data to the broker. If you're sending it all in electronic format, then your electronic message that you're currently sending will require the additional data that um, you know, so that the broker doesn't have to rekey that data. Um, I'm sure maybe you want to <laughs> you could describe this part a little bit more. I'm sure. Um, yeah, let me let me speak to this because we are at a point in time, both Celeste and myself, and I don't mean that as individuals, but within our industries. Celeste is a software provider, and she um, creates software that I and people in my industry, customs brokers and freight forwarders, we rely on that software product that Celeste company and companies similar to Celeste produce. So in while we are getting ready for a deadline that CBP, Customs and Border Protection, has posted for 100% use of ACE for all import data, which basically means all releases of cargo and all entry summaries and payments describing that cargo that has been released, 100% of that must be filed in ACE by February 28th. Now, the trade has had some time to work on this, on the, but, but on the other hand, um, as we have begun our migration to ACE, we've had a period of a number of years to program and get used to it and train and transmit. And what's happened is very uh, recently, and I would say within the last year really, Customs released the second part of ACE, which is the release part. And I think what's happened as software providers and, and customs brokers have started using that portion of ACE, we have run into a number of difficulties and complexities that I don't think anybody could have anticipated even a year ago. So we're a little concerned right now, or I'll speak for the brokerage industry. Celeste, I'll let you talk about the software providers that provide the product that we need to use. But for brokers right now, at this point in time, and, and I should say also that I'm the vice president of the National Customs Brokers and Freight Forwarders Association, and that association has more than a 1,000 membership firms. So we represent a good percentage of all of the filers of customs information in the United States. These brokers are becoming increasingly concerned with the issues that they have encountered as they have been using the more recently rolled out portions of ACE as they pertain to some of customs issues and also to the three federal agencies that um, Celeste just told you about, FDA, for example, Food and Drug Administration, National Highway Transportation and Safety Administration, and um, APHIS as it, re as it relates to Lacey, which are wood products. So we're talking imports right now, which you may not think affect your folks that much on this call or on this show, but I can assure you that if things don't work on February 28th, there will be problems in the supply chain, and people will not receive their cargo as they expected or anticipated unless there are some contingency plans 
that we can rely on as this date nears. So I will tell you that you are asking us at a very interesting time about this because we're all a little uncomfortable, I would say, um, brokers, that we're going to be able to transmit flawlessly and have cargo be cleared. Uh, and if something goes wrong with the system on the 28th, we need to have a backup plan. But I just wanted to share that with you because um, I think we're all really a little uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Is there a backup plan, Amy? The if there's a backup plan, if there is a backup plan, and there has to be, it has not been released to the trade. What Celeste and myself and our various associations and groups that we are a part of and that we work with, uh, as far as the trade is concerned, we have made some very specific recommendations to Customs and Border Protection, and, and we have, in fact, been warning Customs and Border Protection for a number of months now that we are concerned about the readiness of, uh, of their deadline, that are we really, is the system ripe enough, is the system stable enough, will the system be able to support all of the transactions, will the trade all be able to satisfy the requirements by February 28th, and if not, then what? Are we looking at a possible uh, another situation that we had in Los Angeles last year where we have four I know what you're talking about, and I certainly hope not. We've been warning CBP that, and we're probably um, have been warning them, as I said, for a number of months. They have been assuring us that they will be facilitative, that their, their role is to facilitate trade. And normally customs, I mean, in L.A., when we did have the backup, I think that customs was not at all the problem. They helped Correct. facilitate. They really helped facilitate. But if, if the ACE system doesn't function uh, smoothly, and does not stabilize pretty soon, I think that, you know, we could have some problems unless Customs has a backup plan. A lot of us would like to see the backup plan uh, leave the current system that's working and run parallel if we have to for some time, for a period of time. The argument, the counter argument to that from the CBP officials is at some point they do have to turn off their legacy system, and that also makes sense too. They can't keep it going forever and they need the trade to hurry up and get on board and transmit everything they can through ACE, which, again, I think Celeste probably has a better view of her challenges because she's actually had to program to a system that has not always been stable. And, yeah, this is, uh, that's definitely a good point, Amy, because right now what's happening is um, Customs is making, you know, as, as more and more trade gets on the system, they're identifying issues and bugs in the system and, and you know, things that people missed in the, in the designs and stuff. So they're finding all of these issues that need to be corrected before February 28th. So what's happening is now is that Customs is going ahead and making all of these changes, and they fortunately um, provide us with a daily technical call. And so all of us that are that are doing the programming and anybody else that's interested in that level of detail can jump on these calls and find out what's going on. So in, in these daily calls, they're telling us, oh, by the way, we're now going to change this to this from A to B, and we're going to put that into production on Friday. So it doesn't leave us much time to uh, to react to get our programming done. So basically what what's end up happening is, Things go into production, and then we have to tell our customers, oh, by the way, because you don't have this version of our software on, like, say, February 3rd, you now, can't, you now have to stop doing your testing with, these, with this area of functionality. And it just really makes it hard to, you know, to, to really get people with a real good comfort level when we're constantly still making changes this close to um, the final deployment date. And... Um, you know, so we, from a software side, we've been really working on, you know, trying to get customs to really minimize the amount of changes that they're making so that we can eventually get to a stable environment so that, um, you know, we, we can have, you know, a little bit more level of comfort that, um, that the February 28th date might make sense. 
Um, you know, right of, now it's it's really at risk. So. Speaking of comfort, uh, I'm not feeling comfortable hearing this. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Welcome to our world. <laughs> yeah. Really, it sounds like uh, you know they've been preparing for this for years, and you're down to four weeks. Mm-hmm. That that is correct. I mean, really, when a, the preparation of ACE started many years ago, at, you know, slowly, and apparently a little too sm- slowly, and then another stimulus happened, which was an executive order that was signed in 2014 by the president, where the president mandated the single window that it be uh, all government agencies who have uh, oversight over imports and exports use ACE as the single window uh, by the end of 2016. Where the February 28th deadline came from is, I think, I don't, I, I hesitate to use the word arbitrary because I think CBP, Customs and Border Protection, is trying to, to push the trade onto the system rapidly. Uh, and I don't, I can understand why they want to do it, but it it could create problems. It certainly could create problems. Are they yeah, talking? The, um, are they talking at all about uh, the issues that they are resolving on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis? You know, with you about uh, you know, yeah, especially the regarding the deadline. They are very public about the issues. Uh, Celeste, you know more than I do about that because it's more about the programming changes that they're making. Yeah, for the most part, they're, um, they keep an, an issues log that they actually post on their website um, so you can actually see what kind of issues that they, they feel they still have to work on. Um, the areas that, that we don't necessarily know about or know quickly enough is if one company experiences something one day, um, you know, and all of a sudden they, you know, certain types of entries cannot be filed, then we don't necessarily know until we get onto our technical call each day to know, um, you know, oh, we should have been telling our customers, you know, do this and this. Um, and it really re- it ends up taking us a lot of time to research these issues. So we might have a customer call, you know, saying, you know, we just can't get this type of entry in. We're getting these errors. What's going on? And so we have to research it. We have to contact customs to get, you know, help in resolution. And there's a lot of churning of resources, um, you know, to, to get these things resolved. And for, uh, the sake of, for the sake of our listeners, do you have that uh, URL uh, or website address? It's on CBP. That? Yeah, it is on cbp.gov. I don't have the, the rest of okay. the... Um, but they, they can look for ACE issues, um, mm-hmm. and that will bring up the spreadsheet there. Okay. Does this also affect exports? Not well, yet. Ex- right. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> yeah, right now the deadline that we have for February 28th is only for import. Um, I believe, Amy, you can correct me, I think that by December of this year they have to be filing the um, – all the PGAs on export, right? I'm not sure about that, but I do know that they are currently migrating users to uh, their automated export system that is part of ACE and away from their legacy system. But And they are starting to put pressure and deadlines in uh, the filing of AE or the, I think it's automated export system. I'm not really sure. I'm sorry about the acronym on that because it's not as much pressure right now as the import side. And I think that there, it's less, and, and I don't mean to say that exports are less complex because exports are also extremely complicated. But I will say that I think that the rollout for exports is going at a more, um, at, at a pace that we might actually be able to keep up with right now anyway. And well, right after the show, you can be sure. Right after the show, you can be sure I'm going to be walking down to our logistics department and forewarning them of all these uh, issues that uh, we've been discussing. Here's the warning that I would advise any listener: right now, today, if you are importing any goods into the United States, 
you might want to reach out to your broker, your customs broker, and ask your customs broker what their status is as it relates to ACE and what their readiness is as it relates to ACE because your broker may need additional information from you and if they haven't reached out to you, you should reach out to them. Oh, that sounds like very good advice. Sam? That's certainly solid. Now, um, one thing that I would like to leave a door open to with both Amy and Celeste is as we approach the February 28th deadline, if uh, it looks like we've got some uh, speed bumps and rabbit holes that uh, this could become a, a more serious problem, we may want to have you back on the show to talk to our listeners about where we're at. Uh, Be happy. Obviously, you know, obviously you've raised some areas of real concern here uh, with about uh, 33 days to go. And I thought I also read someplace where um, they were taking a slice of imports such as uh, retail, uh, and they were going to try to comply them by February 28th. Is that not accurate? It's Correct. everything. Yeah, no, it's everything. It's every import into the United States must be in ACE. Where the slice is coming from that you might be thinking about are the different federal agencies. I think there's something like 47 federal agencies that have oversight over imports, and only three of them have to be deployed by February 28th. The rest of them must be deployed by the end of July. I think it's it's in July anyway. Um, so that uh, so we do have a little bit of time with all those other federal agencies, and there are many of them. So that might be the slice that you're thinking about. So certain goods may not come under food and drug, for example, or Lacey. But I will say those three that we named a couple of times, those three agencies, what we call NHTSA, FDA, and LACI, those comprise a pretty high percentage of all the imports into the United States if you add them all up. And that was the FDA, Transportation, and what was the third one? Um, FDA, National Highway Transportation, and um, which we would call DOT, the Department of Transportation, um, mm -hmm. and also LACI, which comes under ACES. Uh, LACI only pertains to wood products, products made out of wood. And there are certain products which are constructed with wood that have special reporting requirements. Yeah, that's under the Department, of, U.S. Department of Agriculture, USDA. Okay. Well, that's, well, uh, this is a fine how do you do. Yeah, it's, it's certainly eye-opening, and, and I appreciate your interest in being uh, back on the show. We're kind of up against the clock here at the moment. We've been speaking with uh, Amy Magnus, who's Director of Customs Affairs and Compliance at Derringer, the leading logistics company, and Celeste Catano, who's Senior Global Strategist at Keywell. It's a multimodal transportation management software company that, that actually provides the software for brokers to be able to comply with ACE. Amy, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you. And Celeste, we certainly have uh, uh, been pleased that you've been with us. You'll have a lot more to contribute in the not too distant future, I think. Yes, thank you. Yeah. We'll uh, look to have both guests back with us as we approach a February 28th deadline. Um, we're all uh, very concerned, and uh, those of you who have listened, you may want to share this with some of your friends who are in logistics because anything coming into the United States is going to be affected. So stay tuned, and that wraps us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio today. Thank you for listening. Okay, one last point for today's show is a reminder of our next week's show on February 2. Brad Holcomb, Committee Chair of the ISM Report on Business, presents the latest and in-depth information on the Purchasing Managers Index covering January 2016. Uh, you can hear our show at mfgtalkradio.com. That's mfgtalkradio.com. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time 
at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.